Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to My Good Bad Brain. It's a podcast about mental health and being a person. If you like the podcast, please uh, check out patreon.com slash mygoodbadbrain. Throw a few bucks there. That helps this thing keep happening. And uh, if, if not that, just leave reviews. That really helps us. All right, great. Theme song. Welcome to My Good Bad Brain. I'm a normal I've got depression and ADHD, but I'm doing better since I medicated me. I'm still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is. But I figured out a long time ago that being alive is beautiful. Hi. Welcome back to my good bad brain. Um, this is another hour good bad brain episode, which is fun. We did another, uh, we did another interview with a a viewer or a listener, I guess. Caitlin Ugolik, I think I got that name right. Caitlin Ugolik. Uh, I'm gonna put her info in the description. I'm gonna keep these intros a little more brief, I guess, when I don't really have much to say. Plus, there's a couple dogs fighting near me, and I have anxiety about this because I'm like so late putting it out. <laughs> Whatever. I'm just trying to keep up with it all, you know? Got a few more interviews lined up this week. It's gonna be fun. Um, so a couple of little changes I'm doing to these interviews and to these hangs. When I talk to a person, I've decided uh, I'm just going to jump to the six quick cues because I realized a lot of the six quick cues were kind of repeating things we'd already talked about anyway, and it gives a nice, better like form to it. And I really am starting to think that this like our good, bad brain thing really is like what this thing was always meant to be. And I think that gives a nice structure to it. So you'll you know, listen to this uh, talk that I have with Caitlin and we'll kind of jump right in pretty much starting with what's your stuff, you know, what, what, uh, things you've been diagnosed with and have not diagnosed with, what do you feel you struggle with and trying to get treated with, or, you know, what's your, what's your thing? Um, yeah, I just think it'll give nice structure. I don't think, I don't think we'll like lose out on much of the meandering. I don't really know that I'm capable of that, but you know, it might help keep the thing a little more concise. Uh, Caitlin, uh, talks to me and you and us and all about, uh, basically anxiety and, um, there's a name for it that I'm trying to pull up while I talk to you. Uh, another, another thing she said in her, um, first letter writing, 
about uh, being interested was that one thing she thinks about a lot and she's working on a book about, or I think the book's coming out actually. I, I'm going to put info again in the, uh, in the links about that is a book about empathy in, in technology, basically how does empathy affect technology or the other way around? How does technology affect empathy and how can people creating technologies that they intend for people to interact with to, uh, how can those people doing that consider more empathically or empathetically the experiences, the people using them and how it's going to affect them. So obviously that is huge for me and for probably a lot of you who listen to podcasts and, you know, I'm kind of using this odd new technology that we have, I mean, relatively new in the scheme of humanity, podcasting and the internet to find some validation out there for my own experiences and hopefully create it for other people also. Um, that very much, I think, is in line with this question of empathy and technology and how do those things coexist. So that became a lot of what we talked about. Um, yeah, GAD and PDD, that's what she said. Generalized Anxiety Disorder, GAD, and then um, PDD, I forget, I'm so bad. Just pa panic, uh, Persistent Depressive Disorder, sorry. So it's General Anxiety and Panic Attacks, and then we talked about Persistent Depressive Disorder, which she's uh, had diagnosed since she was about 12, maybe younger, she said. So let us uh, let me just stop doing this and start getting into the actual talky-talk part of... Uh, this wonderful conversation, a second version of our Good Bad Brain. Thanks. Um, so, the six quick cues. The first one is, uh, I sent them to you yesterday, and for some reason I can never yeah, remember. Yeah, I have them written down. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it insane? I've done it for like a like year, and I'm like, what is the thing that I, every time I have to like recheck it? No, I get that because I, I wrote a book and every time someone asks me what the book is about, I have to take a few minutes to be like, wait, what is it about? How do I put it into two sentences? So yeah, I get exactly. It. All right. So yeah, what was the first? The first one is, of course, well, I do know the first one, actually. What What's your what's your stuff? And I, I don't know a better way to say it than that because, yeah. I don't know, some people we think they're mental illnesses or just like some people, I don't know what, know what we call them, diagnoses or... Sometimes we don't even have that. We just have stuff we deal with. So yes, right here. Yeah, I don't know. So my stuff um, is mostly anxiety stuff, um, and it's interesting. I I didn't actually hear it called that, you know, like in reference to my life until I was probably like fifteen or sixteen years old um, and started having my first panic attacks. Yay, fun! Mm. Um, and went to the doctor and. Um, I just went to a regular doctor at first, um, and got the whole, like, are you hearing voices? Do you want to kill yourself? And it was just kind of like very intense. Wow. Yeah. yeah. There was no diagnosis that came out of that, but there was like a, you know, oh, it sounds like anxiety. Um, here's some Paxil kind of thing. Um, Paxil. Yeah. That was a long time ago. I don't think they prescribe yeah. that anymore. Yeah, uh, it sounds familiar, but I don't know much about it. Yeah. Um, so anxiety for a while. Um, there's like a history of stuff, quote unquote, in my family. So it wasn't that shocking. Yeah. But, um, of then, anxiety it, stuff? What's that? Of anxiety stuff? Yeah. Anxiety, depression, um, other similar things. Um, yeah. And so I struggled with anxiety a lot in high school and college. Um, and then grad school was kind of like a tipping point of like, okay, this is a, a real thing that I actually need to, 
about. Um, another diagnosis that I've gotten is dysthymia, hmm. which is like a fun Latin word that I also don't yeah. think we use anymore. <laughs> that was a way that one therapist, uh, one therapist I had used to describe these like periods of hopelessness and depression, but like that don't last for years necessarily, but last for like maybe yeah. weeks or months. Um, hmm. But I was recently told that that's now called persistent depressive disorder. So if I have a diagnosis, it's, it's that. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So when did you feel like, because for me, I think I maybe have never been diagnosed as uh, anxiety anything, but I feel like I've had anxiety attacks or whatever. Um, and sometimes, I don't know, sometimes the symptoms or the root cause, they can kind of like have this crossover gray area mm -hmm. i guess the, the first thing i wanted to ask you about specifically with regards to that and having this anxiety attack be the first thing that you know resulted in you going to seek some professional you know opinion about it i do think you know people including me kind of like use this term like oh i got so much anxiety i'm having such i'm having anxiety but what is in your experience like your first experience of it and to today like what is a panic attack for you? Yeah, I think that's a really important question because you're right. I think like in in culture, it's a word that gets used a lot and it, it has a lot of different meanings. Um, well, like for like on that note, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. The different meanings is a good way to say it because like I think uh, depressed is I, the thing. I had that big response to a lot of people from the Jim Carrey thing from the other week and I got a lot of interesting responses yeah. on my Instagram. And I realized like words, like we use this word depression, there's like a colloquial use and then there's like a clinical yeah. meaning. And I, it's, it's understandable why ugh, we need to allow room for that like dialectic to like understand that we're not always saying the same thing. Totally. So yes, yes. So on that, exactly. We use this word for many different things. Um, and, and the other thing about it too is I don't even mean to be like this like it's very popular, I think, to be like, hey, don't make a joke out of a serious thing that I have or something like that. Like, I think depression is funny, even though I have it. And I think so. I'm not like interested in taking away like don't use the word anxiety for your anxiety. Text. I get it. We get, we get anxious. That's a thing. But all of that being said. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Tell me about tell me sure. about for you. Yeah. So um, so the first time that I had an anxiety attack that like I knew was an anxiety attack um, and we're going to get real dark real fast here, but it was That's like, what I'm talking about <laughs> as a teenager. One of the first times that I started really thinking about death and dying and like with this very active imagination, like imagining like not what it will be like to die, but what it would be like to be dead, which doesn't really yeah. make that much sense necessarily. But like, that's where my brain went. Um, and then just kind of like, you know, catastrophizing that and going in, you know, further and further and then, oh shit, that's actually going to happen to me. Um, that was, you know, and then kind of like freaking out. Like it, it went from like a mental freak out to a physical, like I was like yelling and crying and trying to like make this thing like yeah. not be true. Um, so that was, <laughs> that's like kind of extreme. I know a lot of people will have the physical experience first and then the emotional experience for me, at least at the beginning, it was like kind of my mind working itself up into a lather and then like uh, my body sort of following. 
But then what's interesting yeah. is as I've gone through years of therapy and stuff, I realized that I was actually having panic attacks much earlier than that, but they weren't as like blatant and obvious, like being at school when I was a kid and just like feeling really afraid and like I wanted to go home and just like crying uncontrollably and like to, you know, I feel bad for my teachers now because I probably seemed like a little brat or like, you know, they mm. thought I was like being abused or something, which I wasn't, um, just right. had that anxiety from a young age. And like, I would say now that like one time I think I had a panic attack at Disney World where I was like afraid to go on a ride and um, kind of had a breakdown. And I guess with kids, it's probably there's a thin line between like tantrums Right. Right. Like, but, but yeah, it's interesting. Now I think that I've probably been having different forms of that for my whole life. I don't, I also, I wonder if like part of a panic disorder might actually be like in a child who's, you know, those are, those are normal responses. And like, I wonder if there's not something to like part of a panic disorder, quote unquote, is just that, you know, you just don't lose that. Like there's a part Mm -hmm. of you irrationally that stays as like i'm just think you know pondering or it's but like, like the, more extreme than it should be or something yeah exactly like yeah. the instinct like a panic response is not an incorrect one to have to some degree mm-hmm. it's it's your body telling you like alarming things are going on i think uh it does seem like it's like an unregulated body response sometimes and maybe that's where it becomes a disorder or yeah. when or when the response is like so extreme that you can't because i'm like from a survival like why would my body create this response perspective i think i guess it, it would even if it was like a tiger was chasing you it still wouldn't be helpful if it just made me you know yeah. sudden, be incapable i've thought about it that would- so many times like the fight or flight thing the only part of it that makes sense to me is that like the adrenaline that like would help you just get away faster. Right. But in terms of like actually being able to function once you get wherever you're going, I don't know that like our Neanderthal ancestors were able to. (laughs) to Exactly. Well, and and, uh, my mom's told me that in like life and death situations, there's actually it's fight, flight or freeze. Like Mm. we always said that freeze is also a response that is very natural and um, it can make sense. Like if you just, Maybe you'll live if you play dead or if you like don't, you know, if you run, you might incite like a predatory instinct in the thing to chase you. And if you fight it, you might do the same thing. But if I freeze. So maybe there is something to like just being so panicked or overwhelmed that you do nothing. Maybe there is some survival element. It is interesting because I was thinking uh, in a jiu-jitsu tournament actually recently they, you know, which is really intense adrenaline. It seems to kick in a fight or flight. I'm like more calm about it than I used to be, but I couldn't believe how hard it was. Like you have to, sometimes they reset you and you have to like tie your belt back mm-hmm. on or, and tuck your like shirt, your, you know, go, go, gi back into the belt. And it's like all of a sudden you, you can't do like basic things, you know, like basic motor skills go away and I wonder, it's like the same thing, like your body's in this fight or flight response so much that suddenly like very simple, like just tie this little knot, tuck your shirt in, takes you like four tries, you know? Yeah. I also wonder if sometimes that's what happens with certain kinds of depression, like with the, this yeah. sort of like periodic depression, like you're talking about the freeze thing. I, I wonder if, 
And this kind of goes to the thing that you posted too, that like for some people, um, Jim Carrey and whoever else think that right, right. depression is a response to these, you know, outside things happening. Um, if like that, it's like true that it holds some truth that needs to be acknowledged. Yeah. And it just yeah. makes me wonder for me personally, at least some of these periods that I've had that were like weeks or months long where I just kind of like felt frozen, you know, right. like maybe that was a reaction to bigger things going on at different like seasons in my life. Yeah. But I, I, I think that it, I mean, that, that was what I, I was asking everybody's opinion about it. I had a strong, like kind of, well, no, I guess it wasn't just strong right at the gate. I had to figure out what's bothering me about it, but, but that, you know, there is truth on both sides of it. And I had people write me that like, this idea is really this, I've done this in my life. I was not living my truth and I was so unhappy. And then I, and so you're like, yeah, well, I don't want to take away from them that at all. Or, or anybody who, if we have chemical depression, I don't want to take away, I think our minds are very powerful things and it can help to have thoughts around maybe there's something I can learn from this. Maybe there's a way I can, it can become a superpower. That's all great. I don't want us to give that away to the face of just like, I've got a fucked up brain. I'm always going to have a fucked up brain. And that's how it is. Um, I just also think it's a little bit, um, yeah, what we're discussing here, sometimes your body's freaking out and you have to be like, I'm not getting, I'm not going to be killed right now, body. Like I don't need this survival response. And, uh, and especially with depression, when it, literally depressed you know when it when it's pressing you down so bad that you feel like you should just die i don't think that's some deep truth that it's you know that being said i do think there's something interesting uh someone told me about like like okay like with concussions if you get cte a common thing that happens is the you'll get dep- like this depression mm-hmm. people who have never had it once they get this chronic traumatic encephalopathy and the idea was uh in something that i was reading they said that like and the reason it does that is to protect you that the secondary traumas actually like at, when your brain is still healing a trauma, if you get hit again, that's the most dangerous. And so if your brain has this response to make you depressed where you're like you can't get out of bed, you can't get out of the house, you can't do anything, it kind of like forces you into bed rest. It's like limiting your responses to potentially go get hurt again. And I do feel like when I read that, I was like, that resonated on an emotional level too, that I could see depression coming from a, a place potentially of my, my body. I've experienced some trauma or pain or something, maybe when you're a kid or whenever, when it's, you can't contextualize it as well. And your body just does this thing to go like, well, let's do everything we can to not get hurt mm-hmm. more. Like, and that's just going to be, let's slow you down and make everything kind of like, what's the point? Why would I even try? I don't know. But at least then the body stays alive, you know? Yeah. Until it like overdoes it and then you, you know, make four choices (laughs) under the influence. It's interesting to, that you singled out like chemical depression because when I went to that first doctor's appointment when I was a teenager, what the, what the doctor did was like, he sort of gave me this brief explanation of like, what is serotonin as kind Mm -hmm. of like probably what's happening in your brain. And I just remember feeling like, you talked to me for 10 minutes. You made sure that I wasn't about to kill myself or, you know, that I didn't have schizophrenia. And then somehow you magically know what the neurons in my brain are doing. Like at that time in my life, I was like very confused by that. Like, yeah. you know, and, that, and then in therapy, the process has been much more not how are your neurons reacting to things or I guess it is about that, but it's, but it's more about 
about emotions. Right. And so it's right. been interesting to kind of, as I've learned more about myself and about mental illness and that kind of stuff in general, how those things are connected. And for me, it almost doesn't really matter. Like if I literally have a chemical imbalance or if I just have these like pathways in my brain that have, mm-hmm. you know, been built because of certain things that have happened in my life or certain thought patterns. Like I almost don't care why anymore. It's just like a a practice of like managing it and predicting when it's going to be worse or just like responding to it. Yes. When you had that first, uh, it made me think of cosmic vertigo, that thing where you get trapped in like impossible thoughts of like infinity existence yeah. but, but then what would not existence be and all yeah. that. was there anything like how old were you and was there anything that you associate like with uh preceding that um yes so i think i i can't remember what somewhere between like 14 and 16 I think. Yeah. um and there are a few things i i think the biggest thing was probably church Um, Mm -hmm. so I grew up Catholic, which like for me, man, I wasn't very religious, but, um, we went to church, you know, we're like cultural Catholics. Um, my family's Italian. Um, and the Catholic church, at least mine, didn't talk that much about this existential stuff, right? Like you just kind of Mm -hmm. recite the things. I don't know if you've been to Catholic church, but yeah, it's a lot of, I, I'm a, I was Presbyterian. Okay. I had some like family that was Catholic and I would go. But I think there's still a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. We have like different words, like a little bit, but the doxology it's and the similar, Lord's Prayer yeah, and yeah. these kinds of things. Yeah. Um. So, but what, when I started high school, I was around. So I was born in Connecticut and I grew up in North Carolina. And when we moved to North Carolina and I started high school, I met a lot more people who were like Southern Baptist, evangelical, like a lot mm-hmm. more um, Christian, like capital C Christian. And yeah you know, peer pressure, instead of getting peer pressured into drugs or alcohol, it was churches. <laughs> and it was kind of this like, um, experience where people that I knew in school didn't, uh, didn't recognize Catholicism as a Christian faith. And so I was like, Oh crap, like I've been doing this wrong my whole life. What do you mean? Um, and so I started going to church with different friends and then there was one person who, was, um, I don't even know what she would have called herself, but she went to one of those mega churches, like before mega churches were, yeah, quote unquote cool. Um, and she was kind of born again and she was trying to witness to me, to me and to everyone else. So like tell us that, you know, you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and savior or you're going to hell. Oh, and by the way, the world's ending like really soon. So you better hurry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so I was totally, you know, hook, line and sinker for that. Um, at, you know, it was a time in my life, everyone's life when you're a teenager, like you're looking. Yeah. Um, I was already feeling anxieties. And so went with that. Um, she took me to this event called the harvest, um, where it was like a concert, um, slash like kind of culty, like, you know, join Christianity thing. Um, and I remember going, there was a moment, um, in between like music sets where they put this one Bible verse up on the screen. I I don't remember the verse. And it was like, 
you know, if you come down here and you put your hand on a new believer Bible and you say this, then you'll be saved. And at the time, like, like now that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> at the time I was like, this is what I need. Like, this is going to make everything okay. Like when the world ends in a month, because Jesus is coming back, I'll be okay. And then I just remember oh, yeah. this, like, you know, I did it and I had this like, almost like euphoria because everyone around you is doing it and it's so exciting. And then like almost immediate let down that like, wait, nothing happened. I feel exactly the same. Um, yeah. But long story short, I think that that experience and that in my like Jesus phase didn't last that long after that, but that experience kind of is what started me thinking about a lot of this stuff um, about like the end of the world and what that mm-hmm. means and where we go and all that. And then at the same time I had a friend who, um, was suicidal at the time. He is okay now. Um, well he's alive now, which is, yeah. Cool. um, yeah. but so just thinking about all of those things during those couple of years had me just like randomly having these thoughts in the shower. I like what you called it. Cosmic Vertigo. Cosmic Vertigo. Yeah. Yeah. That name, I, I came from, um, I think I heard it through my girlfriend, but she heard it from some. Oh, the Thanatology. Uh, that, that, that's what it was. Episode. That's what it was. So yes. I've, so I have not listened to that yet because I am not prepared. Like, I feel like I need to yeah. like take an anxiety pill before I listen to that episode. Maybe it's, it's a very, re- I remember it being very beautiful, mm-hmm. very kind of like reassuring. Um, okay. but that cosmic, that's I, I should listen to it again. But people do like that episode a lot. Um, and the cosmic vertigo. I just remember getting that when I was like, quite literally for the cosmos. When I was in the, this rural where my family lived in uh, Wisconsin, my grandparents lived, and we like laying in a field, you know, in rural sky and just looking at the sky. Then that first time you get that like, oh my god, that like it's truly infinite, and what the fuck is anything? And uh, and that was like less of a. I mean, it was still a bad, like scary feeling, but it wasn't as, it wasn't as intense as what, what you're describing. Um, but I think they're, they're related that existential. Yeah. And I think because for whatever reason, I connected it so much to my own personal fate, you know, mm-hmm. like, I feel like mm-hmm. sometimes that looking up at the sky and all the stars and stuff, that existentialism feel as personal or or people say it makes you feel small and insignificant or like you know grateful to be a part of this big thing but this was so much about like like okay like you have to meet this deadline this like religious deadline (laughs) and say the right thing so that when this happens and it's going to happen really soon you know you don't go to hell so that might be why it was like oh man action (laughs) it's kind of weird that like that is something that they're so good at putting into kids, uh, but they won't do anything about global warming. <laughs> well, because honestly, because they think that that is part of the plan. That's true. Yeah. That is true. That's true. Like they think right. that's part of the, right. the second coming or the whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I know that there's a lot of like mega churches that are super pro Israel um, in a militaristic way because they're like, that's where, Right. The war is going to happen. And I want to like, say, like, I know not start. all Christians believe these things yeah. that we just said. No. But, like, this little, this, like... No, there's, like, a death branch. cult sect of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I It's interesting because uh, I actually really value um, 
I'm definitely not particularly Christian now. And my, I realized like you did kind of like Christian means something different in a lot of the country. Like a lot of Christians wouldn't consider me Christian. You know what I mean? The mega church, evangelical Baptist, that kind of, that kind of Pentecostal, that kind of Christianity. I was like a, a, a Presbyterian and I don't know. It's much more like Midwest and kind of chill. Um, and more about like fellowship, I guess. It's not quite like full Unitarian, but then I like spent time around those kinds of things too. And that's actually but, what I do now. I go to a Unitarian oh, yeah. church. So Yeah, that stuff's great. I mean, like I did I did like Center for Spiritual Living stuff with my family for mm -hmm. a while, which is kind of like similar vibes, like non denominational but churchy. But I, I actually value a lot the time I uh I spent in churches, uh just normal vanilla church because um Ah, well, just those that book like infects so much of Western culture and society and thought, and it's like nice to ha understand the references and and there are some really beautiful things in there that I think about, and I don't know, yeah, definitely I've seen the positive. I see that I think there's plenty of positive side to religious organizations. There's just so much <laughs> awful that it's like, yeah, and that's like, what I like about the Unitarian you know, church that I've been going to because like everyone's just very upfront about that. Like they're just very yeah. upfront that, you know, we find value in a lot of these different religions and stories, but also most of us have no idea what's going on and we're just going to go through it together. <laughs> right. Well, that's That kind of blends with the second question. So mm -hmm. we'll just officially ask it about like what, what things you've tried. And I know you mentioned Paxil, so therapies and medications and just stuff that helps you. And I think part of that is a more pointed question is like, how do you feel at this point about that? What happens when I die, you know, panic? Um, so for the first question, yeah, I started with Paxil and I was on that on and off for a while. I don't think they prescribe it anymore. And I don't know. I, don't know. I can if, Google what we talk. Yeah. I feel like in the past when I had told people that I was on it, they the response was always like, oh, shit, they put you on that. Um, but I didn't have any bad um, I started actually going to therapy in grad school. Um, and then I got really lucky. And so I went to grad school in New York. And then when I graduated, they recommended me someone else who I actually saw for the whole seven years that I lived there. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was amazing. Um, so I've really gotten a lot out of therapy. Um, and since I moved back to North Carolina, I've been doing that again. And now, um, I, a couple of years ago, I had like a really rough few months where anxiety and depression were just kind of kicking my butt. And so I got back on Prozac, which I had been on in the past. Um, and I saw that as kind of like a temporary thing, but it's been two years, so going pretty well. I, you know, I don't really yeah. get plans to <laughs> stop yeah. that. Um, I, I get that. I mean, because I think I also, I don't know why it sounds better to me to be like it's temporary i'm not gonna do this forever just because it but like you know there's other things you gotta eat all the time and some people have iron deficiencies mm -hmm. you know and they gotta and and so i don't know i i definitely have noticed uh since i've been more regular and really taking my stuff on time and everything like man it it, it changes a lot about my ability to get through without those like crazy downs and, yeah. I, and I don't really feel like i lose the ups too much i know some people think that they do, they feel more like, you know, it compresses everything. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. That like the, it's, it's like part of my day now. And it's, yeah. And that is a hard thing for me. Like I'm always 
person who's like, um, okay, when is this going to be cured? You know, or like, when am I going to be right. done with this? Like, why am I so weak that I'm still struggling with this? But even though I know logically, you know, none of that is true. It doesn't make sense. But like, that's the thing that I actually talk about in therapy a lot. That's like, you know, um, this is a process and it might be a forever process and that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I, that I think, by the way, whatever, I think that there's something really important in that. Like, it's so fucking hard to think in infinite ways. It's kind of impossible. So I feel like I agree. I also am like, this time, this is forever. This is anything that I think of is forever and like never going to end, like makes me so anxious. Even if I think too hard about like, I have to eat every day or else, or like, I need to have more water every, like that, I don't know, gives me so much anxiety. And, um, and like, it's funny. Somebody said something about like working out that, that like basically it's like people who like really work out a lot or bodybuilders even like that. It's the sandcastle that they're doing. Like no matter who they are, like you get these, like maybe a decade or two of like prime time, mm -hmm. you know? And, and then you, even with steroids, even with everything, but that like, whatever it is, it's like this thing that is going to disintegrate eventually. Like it's, and there's something I found really comforting about it that like changed my ideas about, and I still struggle with this, like feeling enough and, you know, feeling like, okay, where I'm at and that kind of a thing. Cause you like look back on things and be like, I was great. What? Wow. That, <laughs> look at this happy time. What was I so upset about? But, um, but that sandcastle thing and just understanding that and realizing truly, I mean, the, the most trite thing ever about it's not a destination, it's the journey and that kind of stuff. But like, that every day is a practice. It's just this like yeah. thing you approach, you come back to and go forward with and it changes every day. And you just got to check in where it's at every day. Um, now I find some comfort in that sort of, I'm trying to actively switch my patterns to a more like dialectic thing in general, just mm -hmm. like really understanding everything as a constant dynamic. And that that's, that is where the heart of it lies. Not in any like one crystallized single frame of it. Right. And actually that is, is kind of how I would answer your other question about like how I feel now about the existentialist stuff. Like yeah. I wish I could say that I'm totally cool and like, I'm not afraid of death and everything, but I don't think that is normal either. <laughs> right, <laughs> or right. maybe it is, but I don't, I don't feel that way. But, um, thinking more in the way that you were just describing about how, everything is a process and about how things are connected. Um, that, that makes me feel comforted. Um, and actually the more I've learned about like astronomy and um, geology and things like that, those things are sort of comforting to me. And I think it's in that way. And I think I've heard you mention this before, but it's kind of in that way that like all of this stuff happens without me and will continue to happen without me. And then one day it won't, but like that has nothing to do with me. So I'm both right. totally insignificant and like, wow, how crazy is it that I'm here? If that makes right. sense. And like, yes. those are some of the reasons that, um, that I like going to the UU church. And then also another thing that has really helped me with the way I think about this. And I, and I do still have those, um, panic attacks. Sometimes they're not as like yeah. extreme as when I was a kid, but like 
if I've been really stressed or tired and then suddenly I find myself in this thought spiral, I'm like, okay, yeah. hold on. Like, why are we thinking yes. about this right now? Um, yes. But so That's earlier really you were asking me about music and I told you my favorite band is Frightened Rabbit. It was a Scottish indie band. Um, and they had this song called Head Rolls Off. And um, it's about like how when you die, like, you know, someone else won't. And it, there's mm-hmm. lyrics that are like, when my blood stops, someone else's will not. And the best line, and I actually have it tattooed, is while I'm alive, I'll make tiny changes earth which is like so cheesy sounding right but like no, it's actually it's poetry though. within that song and i highly recommend you listen to it but i will that that i think about that all the time and i like you know any any tiny little thing that i do if it's for someone else if it's me just like t- just thinking about things at the micro scale can be really helpful yes oh, yeah i think you're right I think also it's interesting what you're saying, like if I get really tired and, you know, then sometimes those panic attacks, I get really run, you know, stressed. And I think that comforted me too, like this existential fear that was like, like you said, there's something messed up if you don't fear death also. Like that's, you know, and that like, I think it helped me, again, it's the dialectic thing, I guess, but, but just of understanding myself, my Calvin and Hobbes in one person thing. Like understanding that my body is an animal and my body has its own truth and that it has its own like will to live and import and fears and all those responses my body has are there for a reason. And then there's like the me that is this other existential spiritual thing, whatever consciousness the spark of that is. And that helps me, I think, to moderate like which what's me like truly me, because I do kind of prioritize, I think, in terms of the sense of like, which one is the, the me-ist, mm. I think is probably in my mind, I think of as the the mind one, the soul one, right. or the consciousness one. But I think even that has a little bit of bias because cause that's the one that gets to talk. Like that's the one that's, you know, the most in the forefront that my body is just as real. My body's responses are just as real. And it is this mitigation, again, that gets to that depression thing of this discussion between like what my body's telling me is real and like what myself knows to like, you know, filter in and out and, and who to let steer the ship. But then, I don't know, there's something about like, I honestly think like drugs, like weed and stuff help me with this a little bit. Like not alcohol so much because it's like, alcohol is so like loopy and corrosive and it can be so fun. But I think, I think marijuana in particular, honestly, helped me like when I was a kid, I didn't want to do anything like that. Cause I wanted control so bad over yeah, everything. That's why I was I so don't afraid. Do it. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. And I, and I totally get that. And I think this thing happened where like people describe bad edible trips that they have. Like they're like so scary. They get so weird and scary. And I've had those. And I guess I've just reached a place where, it, where actually the things I was afraid of, like this control stuff and whatever, there's kind of uh, you can trick your system with these chemicals to experience that death panic and that fear. I think like you're going through it, but it, you know what I think it's like is like when I'm on an airplane, I know there's no getting out of it alive. Once I'm on the plane, if we crash, we're fucking dead. Fine. So <laughs> if I just go like, okay, so I'm not getting out of it alive. Can I 
feel bumps and turbulence and whatever, be like, there's nothing to protect with my fear. Uh-huh. So can I just have fun with it? Like I'm already in. So is this going to be an exciting, crazy roller coaster ride to the end or what? Or because there's nothing by being just afraid there. That's not going to. It's not useful. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. There's no getting out alive. So that's really interesting. I thought you were going to say that because like, you know, that you've taken the drug, you actually do kind of feel in control and like, you know, it's going to be over. Oh, well, I think that's I think that's part of it. It's just it gets you in a headspace where you're just like what I was going to say was that it lets me ride this life and fear and existential thing a little bit more like a roller coaster and be like, well, I'm in this fucking life. I've got this crazy fear. And sometimes it got to a point where I actually like taking maybe a little, a little too much edible sometimes and being in these scary places and knowing, yeah, knowing now that I've done it, I know like it's not going to kill me. I'm not going to, nothing's going to happen. I'm never, I'm not going to disappear. It's like, you're going to, have this weird experience and it's going to be a little, it's going to be in this scary part of the cosmos of my brain. Um, but it'll allow me to go and come back and sort of maybe recontextualize these feelings as like ones that can be fun. Also. I also think of like stage fright. Like I was a, a stage actor for a while and, and everybody gets it, but you learn kind of, I think athletes maybe get this too. You, you are forced to cultivate something where you, recontextualize your fearful adrenaline as like excitement. Like I'm so excited to go out there. I'm so like, Oh, I can't wait to perform. I'm going to channel this into some other emotion that I just, all all that matters is the emotional mass of it, like the power of it. And I can take that and shape it. And I think um, maybe that that's what I was getting at. Like just this idea that you can recontextualize the emotional mass of your fear or your existential thought. And it can be something that's kind of fun or amusing or like uh, thrilling as much as it's terrifying, you know. Mm-hmm. You uh, know what actually helped me with that a little bit too recently was the Netflix show Russian Doll. Oh, yeah. I watched that show. That was yeah. a cool show. Because it's like. It's funny. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I thought it was. A, I thought it was good. I also couldn't get past like I do this. I play this game with my girlfriend. Sometimes we do a very good play. We're like just having done theater so much like. There's so many elements of that show that are so like theater, like so like New York theater that sometimes I can't help roll my eyes at it. But overall, yes, doing that, like all the Groundhog Day uh, kind of stuff. There's a lot in that show. Yeah. What what were you going to say? What did you what did it do for you? No, just like that. It it kind of approached like death and time and all these other existential concepts in like a absurd, funny Yes, and and, yes. and like that's a show that I probably wouldn't have been able to watch like ten years ago because it would have back and now I'm yeah. able to like enjoy it and acknowledge it, you know, for what yes. it is. That makes sense. Yeah, you're well, you're growing up, you know. You're like yeah, starting yes. to... thirty one. Hopefully I'm growing up a little. <laughs> I don't know. But that at least just being able to I think that thing is just the, t- the hardest thing for us to master becomes that like constant negotiation daily uh, with your body, basically, yeah, yeah. of like wh- what's real, like yeah. which parts are real and going like they all are and aren't. Yeah. And the other weird thing about that, I don't know if you ever do this, is do you ever just think about how everyone else is also yes thinking and like yes. <laughs> having a different experience than you and then yes. like just just 100%. like. Like <laughs> wrapping my mind around that even sometimes it's like, whoa, like, <laughs> well, that's yes. I mean, 
that's part of why I wanted to start doing these, you know, was mm-hmm. just because like, I don't know, uh, this podcast, sometimes like I want to, I want to quit it and not do it. Sometimes I think it's bad. It's like fucking keeping me in a place that's maybe not good or it's, it's not like, I don't really experience like a need to look for content with it, I guess. But like there is, there does feel a slight pull to like stay fucked up. Cause that's like you got to make this show every week or something yeah. like that. Or, or I don't know, or just maybe navel gaze too much or, or whatever. I don't know. Like whatever, y- you know, the same reason you have to take breaks from therapy sometimes. And, uh, and so, and also because I'm alone, it it can be so solipsistic where it's like, I'm alone doing a show alone, recording my voice alone. My thoughts, it's about me and blah, blah, blah whatever. And you said you're a writer, obviously. I loved writing and I got into acting and theater because of other people, because I was obsessed with other people and what they were and how many different lives were possible Mm -hmm. and like how many stories exist and what they go through and what the fuck it means to be a person. And the whole thing I've been saying lately, like every person's a poem is like just true. Like, yeah. So I, I actually, that is overwhelming to think about that. Everybody, I don't know. I, I also still think also there's some truth that like, (laughs) <laughs> all right that gave me two thoughts there's two weird sci-fi thoughts that like okay, made me think of that I, that I have all the time one of them i think about is just like the the simulation argument about earth i was like i always think like if you if you were like some super advanced aliens or whatever that you live forever now and you don't you need just you would still create entertainment like that's all you would do and like what an amazing i thought of like earth as like this thing you could buy that's like this way you can fast forward or rewind anywhere in time watch dinosaurs if you want watch wars like whatever and and one of the features of it is you can zoom in and out and like you can zoom all the way in on any one of the billions and billions of little ais that we have and follow that one person and they will have completely unique stories and experiences and then you can you know and like it's just this like infinite entertainment like it would just be this this uh if it were like some simulation that just ran and i guess what the ais they make their own stories if you just want to go down there and watch their tvs or play their video games like it's the same thing um and that i don't know there's something about that that's very funny to me anyway and that was so that thing just like everybody the crowd of people has its own entity in mind and like whatever and then it's weird that just by focusing on one it suddenly will become so rich and intense um and the other thought What's the other one? Um, I don't know. I don't. Oh shit! Oh my brain. There it goes. Well, I, I was know. just gonna you say, say that that uh, at first I'm like that's crazy, and then I'm like, well, it's not actually that far from what we do. Like, what is reality TV and like all these I, Netflix it, shows yeah. and stuff? Yeah, I, I always thought that idea in Christianity of like that you're made and God made man in His own image or whatever, like. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, it more sounds like we made God in our own image a little bit, but, uh, but I don't know. I think that there is some spark of existence that you can see in all living things. That's just a tear, like where on the, cause the other thing about the, I was thinking like, what if this was like a video game? What if, what if this is a simulation and it was like a massively multiplayer online game and humans were just a more expensive, like you had to pay a premium to be a human. Uh-huh. Like you could come and like experience a dog or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You could come be a dog or a cat. And that's like the free version. That's like the freemium version. That sounds really Buddhist. 
Well, kind yeah, of. I guess so. I guess it's like Buddhism. Yeah, Buddhism via like World of Warcraft. Yeah, or yeah. Something like oh that. my god. Um, but oh, that was the other thought. Um, was I had this scary thought about that about like how how human because it seems evident that some of us navel gaze more than others. Some of us are more of a poet than others. Some of us, you know, whatever. And and I had this scary thought about like AIs will get advanced enough that they'll make Turing tests. You know, mm-hmm. like to test if if something is conscious. Con- has a consciousness or not or if it's sentient you know um to to decide like who and once they've created that some humans won't pass it you know what i mean right yeah well and, it's really funny that you're saying that because i'm actually looking at a book right now so i so in in re- in researching my book which is about some of this stuff i read this book yeah called- you were saying um empathy and technology yeah right? is, so yeah, yeah. basically the book is about like how tech can help us build empathy and vice versa um and in researching it i read a bunch of other books including this book called the most human human by brian christian oh. and um he kind of talks about that like and he he did this this turing test experiment and competition to see like which human like win like most human human out of this oh my god thing. yeah and yeah it's really it's really interesting so but at the same time a lot of the other research wait what, what, what was in his book like what what was his or what was something um, about that i'm trying to remember was there the, the most end? human human i've um, got to read this that's crazy i don't that remember somebody... exactly what happened at the end but it's it's yeah. just kind of like a uh meditation on all of this stuff um and like yeah i'm gonna look that up that's so interesting i feel like so many dystopias like put us into some caste system in the future it's usually like economic but i wouldn't be surprised i just could see it that there would be like a tiered out like how human are you but at the same time recently like in doing this research so so with my book i was trying to answer this question of like not not just like what's going to happen to us individually like in how human are we going to be, but what is happening to our ability to empathize with each other? And is that going to be further damaged? Like the more tech obsessed we become. Um, And so I, I focus on solutions or people who are like trying to either build empathy with tech or build tech with more empathy. Um, But within some of the research I did on AI and that um, it's like in some ways we're already in the sci-fi world and in other ways we're still so far from like the singularity, yeah. you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I say it all the time. My friends, like we, I do think we live in this, in a cyberpunk dystopia. Like yeah. we live in it already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not as like dark and rainy and we don't have flying cars as much as we thought. Yeah, and we're also awesome. missing the implants that we were hoping to all get <laughs> like have tails and stuff. Right. But, but, one of the defining factors of those that that genre of sci-fi is that like it's this intense insane technology uh and wealth disparity you know right up against like wealth right up against people who are like still not finding food to eat and mm-hmm. still like living or farming or and that is the weird world that we live in yeah one that's like so there, far ahead sure. yeah we're yeah. there but like a lot of what's interesting is a lot of the stuff like especially a lot of the facial recognition stuff like it's there, but it doesn't work a lot of the time mm-hmm. or like the way yeah. it works causes additional problems. And so like the last chapter of my book ended up becoming this kind of like 
soapbox moment about like tech developers and the creators of this stuff needing to have a lot more empathy for the future users of their products. Um, So like, I think that's really important and urgent, but at the same time you read so much about things going wrong in kind of funny ways and kind of like malfunctioning ways that like, I don't know, like, I guess what I'm saying is like, yes, we're already in a dystopia, but it's not necessarily like the robots are taking over the world, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. I, I don't, I also, I don't know. I don't really think the singularity thing will happen. I, I think, I think a lot of times those kinds of fantasies are easier for people be, than thinking about the reality. Like to me, I was like, I had this thought one day. I was like, the idea of robots turning us into batteries, um, like the Matrix, mm-hmm. is so scary or whatever, and and it and it's comforting because it's like robots would do that to us. What's not comforting is to think that like people would do that to each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that like that's already evident that we've done that. <laughs> And probably will. We're like already a, the gig economy is like <laughs> on its way to just like, yeah. you know, being like I was joking about it uh, that the other day that like that'll be like the next step of the tiny house movement is like you can just have like a, a goop pod in your backyard. And hey, it's going to be great. You just live in this goop pod. You actually contribute energy back to the grid and you can plug into this thing. And it's really fun. You can go live in uh, a much better version of Earth and do whatever you want. This like, is like um, that that movie. Sorry to bother you. Yeah, yeah, it is like yeah. I fucking love that movie. The, um, <laughs> Side note. What were the like prison places called? I worry forget what they're called. Yeah, but yes, worry. <laughs> yes, yes. But I, I mean, I was like, I was also thinking another like weird sci-fi dystopia thought that I had was like with video games. A lot of like video games have a a, a fake currency you can use to buy you know like skins and whatever in the yeah. game but you'll pay real money for it. And that like, what'll happen is there'll be like these big companies that have these great online lot. You can go live there, but like you have to work in the real world. So in the real world, you'll work a job for like a shitty wage for that company. Like just enough to buy your like little closet that you live in with your like VR headset or whatever. But most of your salary for the company will come to you in their virtual world. And then you can go live there. So you have to go do your shitty job, like, you know, scrubbing toxic waste or whatever in the daytime. But then you get to go home to your little closet and plug in and like live this amazing life there. That sounds way more likely. Yeah. Than, <laughs> the goop yeah. pod. Yes. The the full goop pod. Probably. And, yeah. Well, And that's also like, I wonder if that's also the way people think about climate change too, as like, you think of it as this like one cataclysmic event that's going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it. So then you don't have to think about like all of the like, climate injustice that's happening in the meantime. Right, right, right. That's true. Fun stuff. <laughs> well, well, you know what? Let's go. Let's move on okay. to three because three is what's something cheesy you find inspiring. Yeah. And we did already kind of give one of these um, with uh, what's the lyric again? Um, yeah. Every, make tiny earth, changes. I'm changing the earth in little ways. Yeah. Tiny. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, so that. But what but else? I, do you have something else? Well, so I actually just went to Disney World this past weekend for a friend's oh, yeah. bachelorette party. Um, and we went to Universal and we went to Harry Potter World. And that was my first time there. And I, like, I actually cried. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not expect to care that much. But just that, That's like, awesome. I, I was, like, amazed that I still have this capacity for, like, wonder and joy. Yeah, yeah. Like, being there 
feeling like I was in um, Diagon Alley and Hogsmeade, like so yeah. cheesy, but it, it was inspired. I, I have been one. I've never gone. There's one here in LA, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, but similarly, I totally get that. I love that. I mean, I worked the Renaissance Fair all through school. I read all yeah. the books. Yeah, that's beautiful. What is it? Just like that it's transportive or that it like yeah. feels attached to childhood or? Yeah, it's like, so So I like grew up with Harry. Like I was 11 yeah. when he was 11. So like, well, like when the first book came out. So right. just like always having an idea in my mind of what that looked like. And then you go there and obviously there's been movies, but the way that it's set up is that you can't really see the rest of the park while you're in there. So you mm-hmm. really feel like you're just, yeah, transported to this world yeah. that I had no idea that I always like really wanted to go. <laughs> yeah, that is dope. Um, well, what's something dark about you? Um, so I already said my dark thing, which was the yeah. well, sort of the like this, these like existential and death thoughts. And my the thing is that like sometimes it just will pop into my head at times. So we could be like at a bar. Does that feel consistent? Yeah, like this. Yeah, the, the death. Yeah. yeah, we could be like at a bar hanging out talking about something else and I might just randomly be thinking about how we're all going to be dead and then the sun's going to explode. That's, you know. <laughs> yeah. I do I wonder, I mean, I want to say that that feels normal. Like yeah, that feels it like might be, but I it's think dark. you're good. It is dark. It is dark. And and I think well, I guess it's the point of why I put that question in here was to be like to normalize this like this dark shit that we have because I think and that was also like more just cuz I feel like yeah, like so many people uh, yeah you just we put on these like shiny fronts and we're supposed to not talk about uh, fucked up everything is all the time and how <laughs> right. it feels i don't know that, but there is uh that whole like beatles sing a sad song to make it better thing is like i don't know feels fucking real to yeah me. I do which is time. why which is part of the reason why like i don't think i mean i think when you talk about this like concern about like navel gazing with the show and stuff like right i think if it's hurting you that's one thing but i think that if it's okay with you and yeah it, it really it does i mean that's how it feels like you know it's a sad song to <laughs> oh to yeah that's good that oh well i actually do appreciate that yeah i don't know it's just been a weird i feel like i've had a weird a tough uh time lately but then i feel like i'm always saying like that you yeah. know it always feels like ah it's been tough lately um, i relate <laughs> i've been trying to make a better practice well it's become a little bit of a joke also my my good friend i think i might have mentioned this on the podcast but he has a friend who i don't know if he got it from a therapy thing or whatever but he's he's gone through some hard stuff and um like some of the worst stuff that you can go through and he got this tool where he just sometimes he has to when he's having a good time he'll just go like I'm having a good time right now. This is a good feeling. Like yeah. literally just stay outside like a psycho robot because, and we all do that now, like to some degree we're like, we try to like draw attention even internally to when it feels good. I think that's because, great. Because, well, I mean, I mean, it was happening last night. I was like in a, I was feeling good. And I was just like, I just want to notice right now that I feel good. That feeling good feels good. Yeah. And it's kind of, uh, it's kind of amazing how, I mean, I used to think that about hell, like the idea of what hell is, you know, I was like, if that existed, a place of like punishment in the afterlife, the scariest thing about it, it was like being haunted. I was like, ghosts were so scary because you couldn't fight them. Like you couldn't do anything about it. And that like, if, if you were actually in hell and that existed, what it would, it wouldn't be about like some kind of torture or something because 
I was like, oh, you can get used to anything. Like if you were there for infinite time, you get used to whatever. Mm-hmm. But the idea, I think it would be like an existential trap of like forever trapped in that first moment of fear. Like it would be something about like, so that idea of like the thing to fear is fear itself. Yeah, that is, is like dark. really true. That is dark. It's very dark. <laughs> but on the same token, it's kind of, it's interesting to be like, when I think about like feeling good, it doesn't have to do with like a thing that ha- that makes me feel good. Like a good thing happened or whatever. It's like the best feeling is just like, oh my God, I'm feeling good right now. Oh, right. And the yeah, feeling yeah. like how fucking amazing that is. And just like when you, when you feel like you've been away from that for a while, how ugh, it's like a big, big glass of water in the desert, you know? Yeah, like yeah. Just so nothing tastes as good as water when you're thirsty. Um, yeah, just remembering know. that feeling. I feel like though humans are not that great at, at like remembering. We are not. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. We're not good. I did this weird thing one time with a friend who does like kind of hypnosis and stuff like that. And it's going to sound so cheesy and weird, but it was something about like, have you ever done? um, He was like, it was like a somatic exercise where they did this guided meditation and they have you remember what it felt like when you were happiest or felt your best, or maybe even a specifically like on a drug and it felt good or whatever. But like, you had to do with like when you felt the best like it might be sex it might be like a good meal like whatever and like you do this meditation and then with this guided meditation you start associating it with like i was this finger for me it was like my uh whatever this is right next to your pinky finger your ring finger and your thumb you would like press the tips of it together and then this and it was like basically building this hypnosis trigger in that like anytime you do that you can have access to that feeling immediately and it kind of work like obviously i'm not like doing it and just going away but like it kind of works like whenever sometimes i do it like when i'm set my intention and i want it and it does make me at least feel like i feel like my body a sensation of like warmth goes through my shoulder blades and like up and and it is a strange uh to what you were saying that like we don't remember things like that well we don't remember feelings well we do remember like scary things pretty well Mm -hmm. like maybe not clearly but uh powerfully because and which makes sense as like a survival thing but i think for people who have like a depressy brain or you know can have these really dark thoughts it kind of does become like a survival necessity to cultivate a memory of what good feels like Mm -hmm. just to like know that it's possible or even to imagine like to remember to imagine that it's possible to feel good yeah 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 and i think if you can yeah, and I think if you connect it to a physical thing, there's like research yeah. about that, like that it it helps you remember, you know, like but that yep. finger thing or Yeah, that is super interesting. I mean, yeah, and I do think the physicality that is sometimes where I will rely on my animal body to like save me. That like I think of again the Calvin and Hobbes thing, but I do think of sometimes the animal part of me as like the protector of my uh whatever soul part of me. And if that part gets too fucking crazy and heady and is starting to believe things that are impossible or whatever my body's here to be like i'm hungry you know yeah. that's <laughs> Let's really eat interesting that or just exercise like, is like that for me too like it anchors it brings me back yeah. into the earth that really just clicked with something for me that my therapist said about how like it's hard it's like almost impossible for things like a deep breathing exercise to work on your brain if your body is like all crunched up and she was like I was preparing to go on this trip and I hate flying. And like, she was like saying like, focus first on, you know, 
lowering your shoulders and uncrossing your legs and then do the deep breathing mm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess That's it's really kind good. of like a chicken and egg thing. Well, I think it can be. I think you can hack it back and forth a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the whole thing about, like, if you smile, like, you'll feel better or whatever. There, there kind of is a little truth to that. It can be, like, the last thing you need to hear when somebody, sometimes, you know, and someone's like, well, try smiling. <laughs> You're like, oh, try going and fucking yourself, you know? Right, but, right. like, uh, but I do think on a, in terms of finding tools that we can allow ourselves to have, yeah, I do think there are, there's some truth. Um, I saw it in dogs once. Somebody, I don't know who said it to me, they were like, scratch the scratch your dog under their chin and they their you know head goes up and it goes it makes them feel proud <laughs> and i was like they look proud and i was like yeah why why yeah but do they I'm know like they that. look proud <laughs> i know i don't know if they do but i do feel like i can do that like sometimes that like stand up straighter shoulders back thing is like it's scary even sometimes i realize i'm so like this that like you go you feel so exposed I'm, and just from like a shift in your posture but it can make you feel more like powerful also. Um, yeah, well, that's good. Good stuff. Let's do the next one, uh, which is uh, what's the next one? <laughs> gorgeous things. That is it. We're at last gorgeous thing you saw. Yeah. OK, great. What is the last gorgeous thing you saw? Um, I'm going to have to go with pictures of my niece. and Just another cheesy thing. But good, it's actually really good. specifically a picture of my brother-in-law holding my niece. Just like, it's just a beautiful thing, you know, just yeah. like he was like comforting yeah. her because there was like they were at a hockey game. They live in Canada um, and there were some loud noises and he was just holding her. And it's just a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, my, I mean, I have a nephew and uh, I do remember, you know, all my dark thoughts about like, oh, there's too many people and what the fuck is the world and I'm, what I'm, I'm not going to procreate. I don't know, whatever, those kind of things. And. Um, man, I did feel like so much joy about his birth, even yeah. existentially. I was like this, this phrase kept repeating in my head after I found out he had been born that like, uh, it keeps going. Like it continues. Like it was like this idea that like this very real feeling proof that like more people would continue and do things way after I was gone. That's that song yeah, it's beautiful. too that I was telling you about. That. Yes, it totally oh. is. He says something carries on when it's all gone. Something carries on. Yes, that is like, I don't know. I do find that so comforting, even if like nothing. Even if, yeah, like, in you know, the universe somehow infinitely disappeared, like that would exist like that. Right. Nothingness <laughs> would exist like yeah. you can't have nothing. All right. Well, what, what would you add to the don't kill yourself list? Let's hop into that. Um. So. It's hard because lavender soap is like my favorite thing and you already have that. So I would say. Well, yeah, I know. It's a, I mean, that doesn't stop people from saying coffee all the time. So right. feel free. You're fine. But, but I, I love that you. Yeah. Isn't lavender soap? Why do you think it is? What is it about fucking lavender soap? So lavender has like a calm. It has like calming. I don't know. There's something about the oil in it. Like that scent. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. But but I actually want to say, though. A different thing. Okay, yeah, of course. Um, and that's empathy. Okay. Just like because yeah. your own capacity for it, and then the fact that even though it can sometimes seem like everyone else, not everyone else, but 
there are a lot of terrible people and it could seem like, you know, there's not a lot of empathy in the world. I think the fact that it is out there and that like, you yeah, the reason I I live, this is like a semi spoiler for, I guess, an upcoming episode of Allie's, but I was on this trip with her just through the Midwest, you know? And there's this one thing that I, I learned that I think is really profound. I never heard. She interviewed a disasterologist, uh, which is so it's someone who like she she first got into it because of uh, uh, Katrina and helping around Katrina. So it's the study of disasters and disaster response and what we do and blah, blah, blah. And uh, she said one of the, the biggest myths that she wanted to like debunk about it, about like disasters, was she was like, whenever you see it on TV, it's always or in movies, it's like people are looting and going crazy and all this stuff. And she's like, there's very little of that in reality. And in reality, when some big disaster happens, most people, the vast majority of the response is to help each other, to be like calm, to show up in service, to be like, how can I help? What can we do? And that that really is like, that's what ha- people don't panic and go crazy and get violent and, and insane and take and steal. Yeah. They like, they just, they all calm down. They go like, this is not a time to freak out. What can we do? How can we help? Uh, and that, like you said, this empathy when in a world that feels like so awful so much of the time and yeah, it feels a wash and just like these panic heard responses of personal survival at the expense of anyone else. I, that, that the reality of it is not that most of the time. Yeah. The vast majority Although, of the time. like as soon as you say that, I'm like trying to empathize with the people who are looting, like they have nothing left. They're really hungry. Like, especially with Katrina of course. and the way that whole thing was like but I think she makes a good point about especially right. like the way those things are covered, right? Like the way Yeah. Put it on CNN. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's the, that's the whole point. She was like and I agree with you. Yeah, I've, I've total, yeah, that, like sympathy for the people trying to possible situation. But that just like it's good to remember, like even though even those people usually like they just most of them just come together and they're mm-hmm. like, what do we like? I you know Stone Soup. You know that? Oh yeah. <laughs> Did you do that story when you were a kid? I think it's Stone Soup all the time. Stone Soup is really just loaves and fishes, I guess. But yeah, uh, and I heard either an way. amazing. Um, thing about loaves and fishes that was like a new way of looking at it that makes so much which is about like it's not that someone like literally turned a couple loaves into a lot and fish into a lot it was a big potluck yeah no that's (laughs) that's that's how it was taught to me oh i was never to me it was like magic it was taught to me as oh my (laughs) god that's so interesting well i guess that's the difference between like catholicism it's like the idea is like they think communion is like it's real. Like you eat yeah, that and it turns into the flesh. body of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, th- we were very much, much like, like it's a metaphor. And I was taught oh. loaves and fishes at church as a potluck that it was like, what do we got? And it was like, oh, we don't have anything. We don't have anything. It was like, okay, well, uh, we have this. And then, yeah. And then everybody was like, well, okay, we have this too. And that the, the you know, it makes the, like, a lot more sense to me. <laughs> I know. And if, to me, it's a beautiful, I don't know, that's, true about humanity and like if you give if you give if you give like everybody gives it's like there's so much available you know yeah. which i think is that's empathy to me i don't know i, I guess my last thing and i, I like kind of want to end on that nice thing but i was i do want to ask this as somebody who experiences like anxiety uh and and in big ways and panic attacks 
Like, what do you, how do you not let empathy drag you a, a dark way? You know, because feeling other people's feelings can so often, yeah, yeah, be like a real impetus to suck you into like dark or scary places. So, yeah, it's really hard, but I think that's actually part of the reason why I chose not to like be self promotiony, but that's like why I chose to wrote a, to write a book about it because it's like a thing that, as a writer and as a journalist, I if there's something I can't stop thinking about or worrying about, I will try and research it and write about it. So like one, I think one of the reasons that I wanted to research empathy and like the future of empathy and all those other things is because I do think about it so much and because I do get very like overwhelmed by it. So like one of the big things that a lot of people are doing right now is VR for empathy. And I, Mm. I started hearing about that and thinking like, I don't know if I want that. Like I, I already, you tell me about something horrible that happened to you. And like, I'm going to be anxious about it. If I put on a headset and like a haptic suit and like go into a virtual world and feel like it's happening to me or like, feel like I'm with you Mm -hmm. while it's happening. Like there's a lot of them like that for like, um, about like immigration and even the Holocaust and like things like that. Um, I'm like, I don't know if I want that. So that's part of why I started looking into like, what exactly are people building? And well, yeah, because I also feel like that's not what empathy is. Empathy well, isn't yeah. like to me, that's like that's more in line with sympathy, I guess, to be like, think about how bad it is for other people. That's not real empathy. Real empathy is like believing someone else exists, hearing their experiences that are their experiences and feeling and believe you know what i mean yeah yeah like it's so not about like of, yeah there's a lot of like debate about that within like yeah this world and stuff but and that's been something that i've like wrestled with over the past few years about of writing about it and i think it like i think that the best examples of these like technologies that are trying to help people build empathy are not what i just described like they're not yeah. that literal they're they're and they're not trying to like force empathy and they're not exploitative they're more like sure, trying sure. to get you to think about another person's point of view right in kind of a visceral way in hopes that then like when you take off the headset or when you turn off the game or whatever you keep thinking about it and you keep asking yeah. questions and you like that makes sense yeah, yeah. so i agree that like that makes a lot of sense. That experience totally. itself isn't necessarily empathy, but like I think there's such a concern that like people aren't even taking the time, especially the way we're all on social media, like not even taking the time to acknowledge another person is another right. person and like has their own feelings. That this is supposed to be sort of like this gateway to yeah, to a lot that of makes that. Sense. Yeah. And maybe it won't work, and maybe a lot of you know. <laughs> well, is is your book out now? Uh, it's coming out in February, but you can actually cool. pre-order it on Amazon, which I just found out yesterday, which is exciting. Wow, great. <laughs> uh, February, um, so a little while next year. Yeah, next a little while. It's All called right. The Future of Feeling. The Future of Feeling? Yes. All right, thanks. Tell your name again so people can find it if they want. It's Caitlin Ugolik Phillips. Middle name cool. is spelled U-G-O-L-I-K. It's a crazy Polish name. <laughs> That's great. That Polish and I uh, and Italian. Yep. Like a mix of, yeah, yep. That's cool. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know. That's that's it. That's the that's the thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad that you invited listeners and it's probably helps you to Me know too. that we are 
real people. <laughs> oh, no, it really does. It really does. And I think uh, it's actually been a, a really great thing because the thing that I, does make me anxious about the show, about this navel gazy alone solipsism thing, it, it, it's perfectly the counter to that. And I really do feel like it's maybe what this show is meant to be. So thank yeah. you for participating. And listening, I, I've like Instagram DM'd you before about this, but like I it, like listening to it really has been like a help to me. I find. Like I, it's not I, feeling I deeply alone. appreciate that because you'll say things out loud that other people like won't say. <laughs> oh yeah. That, I mean, I believe that I believe that, but well, it's hard you know, to feel just that like way. the crazy thoughts that we've been talking about and this oh, whole yeah. idea of like, and like a person all that stuff like for sure that that fucking weirds me out so much when people like i don't believe people who don't like not to go down a whole side thing again but like the doctor that you're talking about like the doctor that you meet as a child and say a couple things to and they're like well you need these drugs and here you go yeah i a lot of me is like if my doctor like doesn't have these feelings i'm like there's something weird with you like you know like not like when it is destroying your life and you can't you know when it's something but clearly like a spigot do, that can drop. but like and honestly that's like yeah oh like a way to be a more empathetic doctor would be to say and i've had them when like so i've had a lot of like yes um issues with with heart palpitations because of anxiety but at the time mm-hmm. i didn't know that was why so one time i went to the er and i had a doctor who was like super empathetic and she was like I actually totally understand what's happening to you. It happens to me in kind of sharing that, like, yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't think, I think that everyone thinks about this stuff. They just, I think some people are better. I think they must. I think they must. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I do. Yes. I still am so astonished by people sometimes that I'm like, you're so good at being a person. How are you? How did you just commit to this being in society with people and being normal? I don't know. It's amazing. It's like this trick I can't figure out. I don't know. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank um, you. Yeah, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna press stop on my recording. Okay. And you can stop yours also. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, I uh, I would request that you check out patreon.com slash my good bad brain uh and throw some money there i also have some my some new stuff i think i'm about working on there it's a sort of low-key spot to just kind of uh collect some financial support for the pod but uh, i'd like to use it more as a place where people we engage more so i'm gonna see if that happens i've got some ideas around that and uh that's it that's this is the episode this week if you're interested in maybe being considered uh for for an interview for our good bad braining email me mygoodbadbrain at gmail.com thanks a lot be well self-care hydrate you know you know the drill Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.